Hello to all of my optimizer readers and listeners. Today's episode is gonna be a little different in that I'm not the host, I'm the guest. This is a special interview that I just did on super short notice with Erica Wernick over at the Hollywood Success Podcast, where we discuss what is at stake with the pending IATSE strike authorization vote. Like me, Erica is also both an entrepreneur and a creative professional in Hollywood that works both as a coach and a graphic designer where she is part of the Art Directors Guild. And in this discussion, we dive deep into the many stories that are being shared at the IA Stories Instagram account, as well as our own personal anecdotes about our careers in Hollywood. And most importantly, we also break down the strike vote, why it's important to all creative professionals, whether you are a union member or not, and what is at stake if we lose. After listening, I highly encourage you to check out the amazing work that Erica is doing over at HollywoodSuccessCoach.com. And now, without further ado, my interview on the Hollywood Success Podcast with Erica Wernick. This is the Hollywood Success Podcast, where we share the strategies and mindset that will help you achieve your biggest dreams in Hollywood. I'm Erica Wernick, Hollywood Success Coach, and I'm a little obsessed with helping you get to the next level in your Hollywood career without ever needing a lucky break. You've got this. Hello, welcome to the Hollywood Success Podcast. I am your host, Erica Warnick, Hollywood's leading success coach, and you are listening to episode 407. Today is a really great episode where I get to talk to Zach Arnold. Zach Arnold is an incredible editor, and you know, he edits this little show that maybe you've heard of called Cobra Kai. Um, yeah, that is is how good he is. (laughs) Zach has edited some other really great shows like Shooter and Burn Notice and Empire and countless other shows. He has worked in this industry for so long. He is also a mentor to so many other up-and-coming Hollywood creatives um, and just an all-around incredibly smart, talented person. I had him on an earlier episode where we talked about the culture of Hollywood and how we were hoping it was going to change after the pandemic. Um, Today is not much different, but we are continuing that conversation because as you may know, especially if you listened to last week's episode, we are in the middle of a potential, not a potential, a definite vote to authorize a strike in the television industry. This is huge. This has never happened in 70 years. It hasn't happened since the 40s. Um, So this is a big deal, and it warrants another conversation. So if you listened to last week's episode and you're like, oh my gosh, Erica, you're still talking about the strike authorization? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I am. It is so important. Everybody should be talking about this right now. But I will say that The conversation that Zach and I had today goes so much beyond this negotiation. We really get into the culture of Hollywood and what we need to do to change it, um, to see the positive change that we would love to see in this industry. 
it is so much more than what is being negotiated in these contracts. The conversation is so much bigger than that. Uh, And that's what Zach and I chatted about in this episode today. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope that you become a part of it. I hope that you share this with your other friends who work in this industry. Uh, We definitely stand in solidarity with each other. This is not about pitting people against each other in different crafts. Um, We all stand stronger together, and I'm excited about the potential for our future, but it really is going to depend on people voting yes to the strike authorization vote. Um, So without further ado, here is Zach Arnold. My favorite part of every Zoom meeting. No, I like that they announced the recording now. Um, hi, Zach. Hi. Zach Arnold is back. He is back to um, the Hollywood Success Coach podcast, the Hollywood Success Podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you today. I feel like you and I have very similar um, views about productivity and work, in, especially as it relates to this industry. So I'm very excited to dive in with you today, and I'm so glad that you are continuing the fight that you've been doing for seven years and, you know, writing another article that I think is really helpful. Um, so welcome. Yeah, I very, very much appreciate it. And just to, to start with this idea of the seven years, I've seen so many posts and comments and thanks to this IATSE stories um, profile that we have on Instagram and now Twitter. They're doing the Lord's work, no yes. matter what your religion is. They're doing the Lord's work right now to make sure that everybody knows about this. But I keep seeing these comments over and over and over saying, I'm so glad that we're finally talking about this. And why is nobody? And I'm like, um, Hey guys, um, I've, I've been talking about this for seven years now. So I'm so happy that it's happening. Um, but let's just say that I'm the only person that's tired of talking about this. I'm just exhausted talking about this conversation over and over and over about how we as creative professionals deserve to be treated as human beings and not expendable widgets. And thank God we now have what I hope is going to be a majority of people that actually agree with that sentiment. So on that note, thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> Yes, I I am in full agreement. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I haven't been talking about it for years. And I think because as I pulled back and moved into entrepreneur mode, um, it was one of the reasons, you know, that I wanted to be an entrepreneur because I couldn't and my hours as a graphic designer weren't even that bad. Like I had it pretty good compared to everybody else. And I still couldn't stand it. And there were so many other aspects of the industry Um, that frustrated me and that when I became an entrepreneur and could work for myself, um, there, there was an element of stress, uh, that, that went away, that disappeared. Um, so, but I really appreciate you and, and the conversations you've been trying to start for years. And it, it is really interesting. You know, I know the last time you were on, we did talk about how the pandemic, has shifted people's views. And and it's like, I'm glad people are finally seeing. But when I was going back to your article again, and looking at some of those old comments that you used to get when, you know, it's like you, you started this conversation a long time ago, and people were not on board. Oh, my God, have I been attacked? I have been eviscerated on social media more than once. And I would say that I could really boil it down to one sentence. You are weak, you can't hack it. You picked the wrong business. Why not find a nine to five where life is easier? Now, I'm not going to say that this business isn't very, very hard and that maybe these people are really, really good at what they do and maybe they can hack it. 
At the same time, I feel fairly confident that as somebody that's run over 20 Spartan races and Tough Mudders, and I've been in the mountains, and I've crawled under barbed wire with fire hoses in my face, and I've been on American Ninja Warrior, I'm pretty sure if I chose to, I could hack it. The difference is I choose not to. The reason being, and this goes back to what you said about being an entrepreneur, I don't work any less hours as an entrepreneur slash editor and producer. I still work the same number of hours, 12 to 14 hours a day. The difference is that I, as my own boss or the people that I work with now, they respect me. They respect me and they value me. And because of that, it not only makes the hours doable, it makes them enjoyable. I'm not saying that I'm not tired. I mean, on Saturdays, I'm usually exhausted. It's a miracle that I'm even standing at this microphone right now. I don't know about you, but Saturday is my day to just be a literal pile of dirty laundry. Like, (laughs) let me just watch TV and eat crap and take naps. Like, that's my day. So it doesn't mean that I always have energy and I'm always exuberant and excited, but I go to bed every night feeling respected and feeling valued. And that's what I think the component that is so missing in our industry and has been missing for so long is we are expendable widgets. And the one of the stories that I may have told on your previous show that I talked about um, in my article, I did a podcast with legendary editor Walter Murch. Um, he did Apocalypse Now and Godfather 2 and The English Patient. And he's very well known. He's basically literally the godfather of editing in our community on our side of the world. And he told a story about in the 70s, he was working on a huge film. Won't say what it is, but go on to IMDb Pro and you can assume which one it probably was. And they said, listen, everybody on the crew is dropping like flies. And the studio executive said, what's the problem? Just get more flies. That's the way that it's worked ever since. And the studios, based on all of their unrealistic expectations, continue to move the goalpost. The problem is that we as creative professionals, whether it's us below the line, whether it's the people in the art director's guild, whether it's the editors, the cinematographers, even above the line, The writers, the directors, the showrunners were given an impossible expectation, and we do the worst thing of all, which is that we meet it. Right. So they say, oh, well, you can achieve miracles. All right, well, then yesterday's miracle, that's now today's expectation. Fast forward 30, 40, 50 years, we're now at the point where everybody's like, I have nothing left. I have nothing left to give. I can no longer meet these expectations because we literally are dropping like flies and dying under these conditions. And I'm just so happy that people are finally saying, hey, what if we didn't do it this way? Mm-hmm. Like, I can get aboard with that. It, it, it's so sad that it took the pandemic for people to understand. But, you know, I feel pretty strongly. I was telling my friend the other day that I've been having this like existential crisis about how we were born to work, like how much of our lives are actually spent working. And um, it makes me sad a little bit. And I think that this whole concept of like, like those old posts that you were getting, those people that were like, I want to work 16 hour days because then I get overtime money and it's good money. Um, And people that say, oh, you should just toughen up or or get a different job. Like what happened? People don't understand that you like a world can exist in which you have a job that you love and you have a life worth living. You know, like I, I think, you know, I look at, I was talking to one of my clients who is in France for the month and she used to live there and she may move there again. And we were talking about how different filming is in other countries that don't have this culture of like, you know, you were talking about in your article and I talk about this too, about this whole badge of honor for how hard we can work. Um, and, and that's really, you know, a piece of the culture, I think in the United States where it, people, people, 
somehow value, you know, ruining their lives from working so hard. And, um, I just, I just believe that we can live in a world where we get to do these great jobs and be a part of movie making, which so many of us just love being a part of, and also be healthy and also be respected and also go home and have dinner with your family, you know, things like that. Like, I don't understand why it's such a crazy notion to so many people. Well, I think that first of all, I want to make it very, very clear to people. And I would just, if I could tattoo this on my forehead, if my wife didn't get upset (laughs) about it, it would say right here, burnout is not a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. It is not, it does not make you stronger. It is not a flex. Frankly, it is embarrassing. Mm -hmm. I would love to talk to all of those uh, crew members that have sent me all of those uh, text messages and all the direct messages and all of the public comments that they've sent eviscerating me. I'd love to talk to their spouses. I would like to know how their spouses and their children view them and their need for the 18-hour day because it gives them, more, give them, gives them more golden time on their paycheck. I've talked to people that have worked at the highest of the highest levels, that have edited and directed and worked on films that are top five all-time box office. And I had one specifically that said, I regret the fact that I have worked in this industry to the point where I feel really good about my child's college education fund But when they walk across the aisle, they're not going to remember me ever being there for them. Right. So the the money is one thing, but the relationships are another. And so much of this is conditioned. When you say this value, it's not a value. In our country, this is the value. The value is that I am going to sacrifice myself for the work, for the company, whatever the industry is. This is not just about Hollywood. This is just absolutely endemic in our culture as Americans. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing that we have a diehard work ethic and we believe in ourselves. But the problem is it's gone too far and it's now the only thing. And we're sacrificing way too much because of it. And the other thing that is just so such paradoxical logic to me that drives me crazy is you had these people talking about, well, I want my 16 hours and I want my golden time and I want my extra pension. Dude, you're not living to get your pension. I'm sorry, right. but you're never going to see your pension because you're going to die by the time you're 60 or 65 because you've taken two decades off your life from the way that you've worked. So the logic of that makes no sense to me. Like I'm a much bigger subscriber to this idea of I want to work hard in sprints and little bits here and there. And as an entrepreneur, you have a lot more freedom to do that. So I can say for two months, I'm just going to hunker down and I'm going to build this program or do this course or work with these clients. Then I could take two or three weeks off or take a month off, right? But it's not about how do I work really, really hard for 40 years straight. Then all of a sudden I get to relax, right? That's when I get to unwind and enjoy my life. Talk to a lot of people that are 65 or 70 and ask them how they physically feel Mm -hmm. at that age, having worked their entire lives. Like, yeah, they might have their time to themselves, which is a good thing because they spend all of it going to the clinic and going to rehabilitation and making sure they get fitted for their wheelchairs Mm -hmm. because they have burned themselves into the ground wearing their burnout badge of honor. And this is what I think needs to stop. You know, today when I was at the town hall uh, for the Art Directors Guild, I was just thinking, and 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 shout out again to the IA Stories account for helping bring this to light. This, you know, and, and you're saying this, our problem is so much bigger than these negotiations. Like there are, there are, things that are so much bigger than what is in these contracts. And it's what you're talking about. It's, you know, and I think about um, how expendable people feel and, you know, heads of studios, you know, just thinking we're like worker bees. But meanwhile, like, for example, you as an editor, that's a 
very specific skill that you had to hone over years and years and years. Same with me. I had, I got a degree in graphic design, right? It's like, not like we're just people on a, um, what's it called? Uh, my mind, I can't think of words, um, on a, <laughs> on a chain of, 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 oh my gosh. Assembly line. Assembly line. We're not assembly line workers. There we go. That Same wavelength. literally what I was thinking of. You're amazing. Thank you. Yes. It's not like, and, and not to minimize those people either, but, but like, these are people that are incredibly skilled at their job and had to learn how to do it for years and years and years. Um, so it, it really is, it's so much bigger than, just the 10 hour turnaround and the hour, you know, the, the 14 hour days, like it is, it is so much bigger because all the things that you're talking about, you know, that not seeing us as human beings, that is what leads to all of these horrible conditions. So it's like the 10 hour turnaround and all that stuff is like a symptom of the bigger problem. And how are we going to address that bigger problem? You know, that's what I'm concerned about because in our ADG town hall today, I asked a question that did not get answered and I kind of knew it wouldn't because it didn't really apply to what they were talking about today. But, you know, I just said like, I'm really concerned about stories that I'm seeing from women who aren't allowed to go to the bathroom and are having their periods and bleeding out like in their clothes and having miscarriages at their desk. Like this is a bigger problem that isn't, in these contracts. And, and so I'm curious what you think about, you know, hopefully the leverage from these contracts will help us with these broader conversations, but do you think we'll be able to now start taking a look at the cause instead of the symptoms? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to break this down into two pieces. There's a lot of really good stuff here. Uh, the first piece that I want to talk about is the ramifications of what happens. Like you said, this is far bigger than just the negotiations. Mm -hmm. We were in a really similar place three years ago. Mm -hmm. And three years ago, it was all about, well, this, the scale wage should be increased from 2.75% to 3.25%. And we have X number of dollars deficit in our pension and health plan. And it should be this amount, right? And I'm like, why are we not talking about the fact that people are dying? Like, right. how is this like line item number eight on the negotiations? Um, the Editors Guild, we were the only guild out of all of IATSE to vote yes. And we were shamed for it. And our uh, the director of our guild, Kathy Rapola, was eviscerated by all of the other guilds. And luckily, they've all slinked back three years later and said... Sorry, Kathy, you were right. 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 And, and now we're all like bowing down to her and your guilt. Yes. So she's, I mean, with the way things are going, she should just be running IATSE at some point because we, we knew it three years ago. And this isn't about I told you so. And she's a much better person than I am because if I were in her position, I would have bought a T-shirt <laughs> for everyone that said, I told you so and made them wear it publicly. Right. <laughs> um, but the, the point being the three years ago, it really was about deal points. Mm -hmm. Right. It was not an existential crisis. It was here are these things. And you know what? We're just going to take it. This is good enough. Everybody said, well we'll, well, we'll take care of this in the next negotiation. Well, guess what? We're here. The difference is that this is not about, well, we want this percent versus this percent. It is literally down to the point. Do we want to have a union going forwards or do we want to be on our own? The reason being that when the producers walked away, they essentially said, we are going to call your bluff. We have spent decades negotiating with you in good faith, thinking that you have a loaded weapon and we have a loaded weapon. I bet you don't have any ammunition in your weapon. I want to see if you do. And if we don't, if we come back with a no vote, this is not about we're going to get a 2.5% scale increase instead of 3%. This is the AMPTP saying, 
all right, I guess we don't need to bargain with you anymore because you have no power. So this is literally the beginning of the end and the dismantling of our union as we know it. So this is not about percentages or, you know what, I don't agree with what we're asking for. And I think that my guild needs to represent this specific subset of people and they should be getting an extra dollar. I'm going to vote no. Like, well, then you, my friend, are going to lose any power to advocate for yourself in the future. So that's the first thing that I want to Especially with these companies that are essentially anti-union, like Amazon. Exactly. So that that's a big part of this fight. Um, and then the second part, which is going to, even if we do vote yes, and even if we do get our scale increases and we get an extra hour a day of turnaround or whatever it is, here's the sad reality. And this is what I was saying even three years ago. And I've actually been saying this for more than three years. A lot of the things that we're fighting for that are basic human rights, a lot of them are actually already protected in union contracts. They're just not enforced. Mm. So for an example would be, and it's, it's very different for people on set than it is for those right. that are not in production. And my understanding is you're not on the production calendar and you're not on a call sheet, right? You just work on a- like I'm a, on the call a, sheet, but I'm on call. Right, exactly. So you're not you don't have to be at the office at six AM one day and eight PM on a Friday. Right. It's night. always like you, always eight AM. Yeah. So you, you have a reg, you have a fairly regular um schedule. Not I'm not saying regular like normal. Right. But I mean regular <laughs> it's it's consistent. consistent, correct? Yes. Right. So you're you're not the, the at the whims of daylights and Fridays and whatnot, right? right? Um, the point being that my guess is there's already some clause in your contract that says that you get a lunch break or you get a certain number of breaks, right? Same thing for editors. But editors have been complaining for years. I am always told that I have to work through lunch because the schedule doesn't give us time. Why is our union not fighting for it? And I'm like, it's already in the contract. There's only so much a contract can protect us. So the only way that this starts to change, and this is the drum that I have been banging on incessantly for years. You should see the calluses on my hands. (laughs) The only way this changes is if every single person individually as a collective group says no. No, I'm not going to work through lunch. No, I'm not going to sit here at the desk so I can be available to answer your phones in lieu of not being able to take a bathroom break. Right now, the problem is we all feel like we're individuals. We feel like we have no protection and nobody's backing us up, so we fear for our jobs. I've talked to multiple editors that have been that have told me point blank that they've taken a lunch or they've even taken a walk away from their desk. A producer or a supervisor comes up to them and says, if you do that again, you're going to be replaced. You need to stay at your desk. I'm like, then you need to walk away because you do not want to work for those people. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that a life that you want to lead for the next 30 years? So essentially what I've done, and I know it's very similar to the work that you're doing, I'm essentially teaching people how to advocate for themselves and believe in themselves. So as soon as somebody disrespects them, they're like, I don't deserve this. I'm not working for you because you treat me this way. Right? And that can be scary because we always have this, uh, this zero-sum game mentality. Either I'm going to get the job or somebody else is going to get it. It's me versus them. But if we instead look at it as a rising tide lifts all boats Mm -hmm. and we try to support each other, then all of a sudden we can work collectively, even outside of a union contract, to say, you know what, I'm going to go to the bathroom now. I don't care. You maybe need to hire somebody else to cover the phones because the way you've structured this department is not conducive to your needs. But I'm a human being. I would like to take a bathroom break. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take a half an hour lunch. Right. But in order for that to happen, it can't just be in the contract. We have to have the respect for ourselves and have each other's back. So that happens. And I've seen it happen in post. I see it happening and changing because the more people speak up, the more other people speak up. And now there's a there's a cultural change that's happening. It's happening slowly, but it is happening. And the more people say Mm -hmm. no, it's going to continue to happen. 
I worked on a show a couple years ago where two guys on the show, they're great guys, graphic designer and set designer. I believe, was that his role? They told the production designer, it's in my contract that I get a lunch break. We get a 30 minute lunch break. I'm taking that lunch break every day. And, and she was like, okay. And I was like, I don't have to eat at my desk. Like this is the greatest thing ever. Um, so I really commended them for standing up and you're right. It, it really is, um, you know, turning those things down. And I, I've done that my whole career. I don't even know where my strength came from because I didn't have a job lined up and I didn't have that many contacts in the industry, but I've quit shows before when I felt disrespected. Um, and it, you know, one thing that I try to instill in my, in my clients is this concept of abundance and believing that you will be support. If you have to leave a job, you will be supported and you will be able to find another one. And that there are really great people in this industry. There's also a lot of shit people in this industry. Um, and so you're right. Like we really do have to stand up and, and say no to these insane, inhumane things. And fortunately I have been seeing on the IA stories account that people are sort of using that account as their armor. So now they have somewhere to point, you know, and say mm -hmm. like, look, there's 110,000 people following this account. And now we can talk about this. Now we can have this conversation because it's clear that so many people have been suffering and they thought they've been suffering alone or they, they didn't think that they, you know, they could say it out loud. So hopefully that will continue to be armor even beyond these negotiations because it's so much bigger than, than these percentage points and all, you know, these things in this, in this contract. Yeah. And the, I kind of reiterating what I said already, just cause it's so important is that if we get a yes vote and we end up getting for the most part, what we want, we're not going to get everything that we want, but let's pretend we get enough that we're willing to move forwards and we're willing to ratify something. That is not the end of the conversation. Mm -mm. That's the very beginning, the beginning of this conversation. However, if we get a no vote, that is the end of this conversation. Then this just became this little fleeting thing. And oh, yeah, that remember that time that we were reading all those horror stories on Instagram? Yeah, boy, were those the good old days. Oh, man, I wish things were like that now. That's what's going to happen. But the really good news is if we can actually get this through, this is the beginning of a much larger conversation that, frankly, is a sea change about the way things are going to be done in this industry. And it's going to be like turning an aircraft carrier around. It's going to take years for this to change. But the point is, we're starting to pull on the steering wheel. But it's going to take a long time for this to happen. But nothing is going to change for the better if we don't do something about it now. That's why this is such such an existential moment for us as creatives in Hollywood. There's no question about it in my mind. Yeah, I totally agree. And today at our town hall for the Art Directors Guild, they they explained to us because I didn't I didn't understand these details that we need 75 percent of every guild to vote yes, but but not of the member count. Like we have 3,000 members in the Art Directors Guild. It's not 75% of 3,000. It's 75% of the amount of people who vote. But mm. if we don't have a hell of a lot of people voting, it's not going to be the leverage that we need, right? So they were saying, you know, if the AMPTP sees that we have 100 people voting and it's 75 members or 75% of that, the hundred people is not leverage in a 60,000 person group, um, you know, because the IATSE is full of 60,000 members. So it's so important to show up and decide to vote and vote yes 
um, when this happens on October 1st, so that like um, Zach is saying, we can start this conversation. If we don't, we are screwed and future generations will be screwed. Yeah. So as I keep saying that it really doesn't get any bigger than this and really the, the moment is now because they've they finally just decided to the AMPTP has decided, you know what? We're, we're pretty confident that you have no uh, you have no battle here. You, you have no ammunition in this fight. So uh, and my fear is that based off of, uh, you know, past situations three years ago being, uh, you know, an example of that. My fear is that we don't have the numbers that we need. I think we're going to I think we're going to be close and I think we might get it. But this is not a foregone conclusion. So that that's my yeah. biggest fear right now is that there and this is what I'd written about, too, is that right now we are an incredibly vocal minority. We might end up being the majority, but I think even if we do get the numbers, the people that feel the way we do are still probably the vocal minority, and we've put enough pressure on, and we've convinced enough people. They're like, all right, fine. I just, okay, sure. Like, maybe maybe this is going to work, and I'm going to get an extra half percent in my scale or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But I really think there are a lot more people that believe the industry is fine the way that it is, and... They love their golden time, and they 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 love uh, everything about it, right? So that that's kind of my biggest fear, and I think that that again comes from the conditioning that we talked about about it just being a core or the core value of being an American is that I essentially work myself to death. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that you mentioned uh, that I didn't have a chance to follow up on that I think is so important for people that are listening to this to hear because I would assume that you have a very similar audience to mine. It's probably different trades, but I would guess you deal with highly creative people. The vast majority of the people you deal with would be the the creatives, right? Mm, correct. There's something that I wrote about in a previous article. Um, I have written six articles now in this Dear Hollywood series where I had these impassioned pleas to people, um, and I talk about something that's called the passion tax. This is actually verifiable scientific research that the more you love what you do, the more people take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. They have looked at uh, they've looked at uh, specific jobs. Like I think one of the examples was a social worker, somebody that just does the job. They go in and they go home. Social workers are like, you know what? I'm I'm going to take half my rate, right? I, I'm going to because this is really good exposure for me, and this is going to be a good credit to have on my resume. They don't do it. You pay a social worker what social workers get paid. They're probably vastly underpaid for the crap that they deal with. <laughs> the point is, nobody thinks, oh, I bet we can take advantage of this person, right? But in our industry, we allow people to take advantage of us because this is the chance of a lifetime. And this is, at the end of the day, I think this is why we're in this situation. Because everybody at one point early in their career said, I am so lucky to be here. Mm -hmm. That one sentence got somebody to start accepting the treatment, and some of those people got burned out. Some of those people left the industry because they couldn't take it, but some of those people that said that they were lucky to have this job, they're now at the top of their departments that are saying, all you weaklings that can't work 18 hours, like why can't you just appreciate your overtime and just be glad to be here? Do you have any idea how many people are on my stack of resumes that want your job? Either do it or I replace you tomorrow because you're lucky to be here. And the problem is we have been conditioned to believe that we are lucky to be here. 
But in yet another article, I said, no, 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 <laughs> not quite, not so fast. You are lucky to have us because like you said, we are highly skilled, highly trained workers. And that's not just the designers and the editors. That's also the riggers and the yes. gaffers and the electricians. Yes. Like I've been in this business for 20 years. You put me on a set. And I'm like, oh my God, what is everybody doing? This looks so complicated. Like <laughs> I'm lost. I have no idea how a set works, right? So we have very specific skill sets. And that applies to everybody. Yes. And that's one of the things that is so important about this vote is that I've seen from, I don't know if you guys are having this conversation on the art director side, but a lot of editors, specifically non-union ones, are saying, well, why wouldn't they just let you strike and just use all the non-union editors to do the union jobs? Right? Have you guys had that conversation as well? Yes. I mean, I would assume that the studio executives have nephews that have the Adobe Creative Suite. Well, and I mean, yes, you probably work in what Photoshop and InDesign. Like, what what's your number one tool? E- don't even get me started. Yeah, Photoshop and Illustrator. Yeah. So I, my son, I gave him a, a subscription to Adobe Creative Cloud. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't he just do your job? Our uh, president, or I forget his title, told us that his friends who are professors at film schools. Their students told them that they are receiving emails from studio people telling those wow. students to get ready. All I can say is I welcome the opportunity to see how all of that works out. Because if you, if you think about let, – let's take writers, for example. The writers have had a strike. The directors have had a strike. And I support everything that they fought for. Mm-hmm. But if you think about the sheer numbers and the number of writers that you're losing – the writers become replaceable by numbers, not by skill. I'm not talking about anybody can write, but if we're just talking math, right? it's possible to replace the writers or it's possible to fill that void by creating something called reality television. Right. That's what happened a little, I think it was 2008, yep. 2009. 2008, that's yep. where, Yeah, that's where reality television came from. But guess what? There were still plenty of people that could do pre-production, production, and post, right? That's not to say that there won't still be people, but if you think about the sheer volume of projects that are being, we've never seen more content than we have now. It's insane the amount of content. I don't know what it's like on the art director side, but it's at the point where people are saying there are no more editors and assistants. There's nothing left. We are exactly that's off what the they're street. saying. There, there aren't there even is sound nobody stages left. left. So where are they going to find people to do the union work if right now they can't find people to do the union work? So just the the sheer math and probability that they're going to be able to to keep moving forwards if there's a strike, there's just no way. It's, it's just not going to happen. There's not going to be enough people and enough content that they can create to keep up with it. And there's nothing that's going to scare all of these conglomerates more than a work stoppage. The reason being, they're still recovering from the PTSD of it happening a year and a half ago, which is why this is the time, because mm-hmm. now they've seen the bottom line. They've already hemorrhaged all the money, which, by the way, is also their argument. Well, all you crew members, you've been out of work for so long. Don't you just want those shiny paychecks? You guys are you guys are all living paycheck to paycheck, right? Oh, I see. The peasants have demands. Oh, oh my God. Right. That message made me so mad. Yeah. And that's why the the 13 locals banded together, because they knew that the AMPTP would try to take advantage of exactly what you're talking about. Yep. And at the end of the day, there are a lot of people that are going to be really hurt if there's going to be a strike. And I talked about this uh, in a community Q&A conversation I did yesterday with like 35 of my students. Um, And I said there are are two camps of people. Um, If you're looking at the ones that are either going to vote no or are thinking about voting no. And there might be others, but I kind of put them into, into two separate camps. One of which 
are the ones that we've already talked about extensively. Well, they're not taking my golden time and my overtime. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've got another jet ski I buy in the summer and blah, 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 blah. Right. That's a, that's a very common perception. And I know they exist because as I've already said, they've attacked me incessantly for years. So I know they're out there. But there's another camp of people that I don't think we're talking about enough. And that's the camp of people that are living paycheck to paycheck because this industry treats them like shit. Yes. Because they get paid remotely, not even close to what they should be getting paid. But they're in the union getting very low rate wages, barely able to keep up with inflation and pay their bills. They have a, a really legitimate reason to vote no because they're terrified because I don't know how I'm going to live. And I think that's where we need, need to step up as a union and we need to set up whether it's some kind of a fund. Logistically, I don't know how any of this works. But we need to be telling these people now, not in two weeks or a month when we have a strike vote and everybody's out of work. We need to be on the megaphones on Monday morning saying for those of you that are legitimately scared that you're not going to be able to pay your bills, we have your back, we're setting up a fund, we're going to make sure you have money to cover this because the other ammunition that the AMPTP has is knowing we can't apply for unemployment this time. Right. We made it through the pandemic because of the California government. We can't rely on that this time because anybody that's in the union that chooses to not work cannot apply for unemployment. They also know that. So one of the things that I had pledged uh, during that call, I'll pledge it during the same one here, and I hope that people follow my lead, not by number, but in um, just in you know in solidarity. I said that whatever fund it is that's going to be set up, hopefully there will be one, whether it's for the PAs or the assistants, whatever it is, I'm pledging $1,000. And the reason I chose that number is because it's most likely an entire paycheck for one week for one person, and they can say, you know what? I believe this is going to get resolved quickly. And if there's one person out there that's willing to have my back for one week, I will vote yes. And if we have tens of thousands of people, not willing to pledge that much because I'm in a more fortunate position than a lot of people are. But if somebody says, I'll give $20, I'll give $50, we all start to band together. Now the people that are like, I believe in all of this. I just can't afford it. I have to vote no. That might sway them to realize we have their backs too. Yes, and there is an Instagram account that started called IA Strike Fund. It is not affiliated with IATSE in any way, and it it doesn't have any posts yet or anything, but people are already talking about it. And I do think that because that IA Stories account has drawn so many people to it that don't even work in the industry and people are already saying, how can I help? Um, I do think that the that the help will be there should it come to a vote. Now, our our people today at the town hall did say that the the more people we can get to vote yes is the biggest deterrent to a strike essentially you know that if we if we got 60,000 people voting yes on this authorization we're not, we don't need to strike that's enough yep. leverage um, to get what we need. So it's it's likely that we will not need to strike if we get the numbers. Um, and so I, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but a no vote is is going could be worse. Um, so I, I yes, I agree. And, and if anybody is listening, um, we we support you. You know, those of you that are living paycheck to paycheck and are terrified of a strike, um, we support you. And I really do believe that the financial help will be there. I mean, our guild said that right now they are so focused on doing everything they can just for the authorization vote. And so they're not even looking at that yet, but should Mm -hmm. it, if it does come to a vote, then they'll, you know, move their energy into that and people will be supported. 
Um, yes, so. and I, I understand why they're looking at it that way because there's only so many resources and everybody's right. in the center of the eye of the hurricane right now, right? Here's what I'm terrified of. This is potentially the way that it could work out because I'm always I'm always trying to think, what are the chess moves? Everybody's mm-hmm. playing a game of checkers. I want to play a game of chess. Here's the chess move that I'm worried about. They're thinking about all these things that are just about how do we get through to next Friday, right? Then all of a sudden we get a no vote and it's really, really close. And later on, we find out that they were in the works to set up some kind of a fund to support the people. And they're like, if I had known about that, I would have voted yes. And you're like, oh, my God. Right. So it's one of those things where I feel like even though the resources might not be available, just having the conversation now is going to give people the faith that we have their backs when the time comes. Otherwise, it's too late. What was the point of setting up the fund if nobody knew about it, if that would have swayed their vote? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I was actually, I hesitate to say this because I don't want to add public, you know, fire to this, but I was pretty disappointed in my guild today because they essentially brushed off that conversation. Um, You know, people were asking about, PAs in their department, you know, art department PAs who are part of our family, you know, and as I'm sure, you know, an assistant editor or or a PA editor um, or post PA, I'm sorry. uh, People were asking about like, what, what do you, what advice do you have for us to like, tell them, what can we tell them right now? They're, they're not in a union. This is really scary for them. Mm -hmm. And our I shouldn't even say this out loud, but I mean, our guys were basically like, I have no advice for them. We're not focused on that. They're not, we're, we're just focused on our union members. And And guess what? That's why a lot of people hate the unions. That's why we have the fight that we have right now. Exact mentality. There was a, there was a, a conversation that I was reading on Facebook where, um, a guy started uh, listing this giant list of gripes with the editor's guild. And I'm like, dude, read the room. Like, come on. Right. Like we all have gripes. I could put 50 things on a list of what I think needs to change just about our own guild. Mm -hmm. Love Kathy Rapola to death. I know all the people that run our our guild. I've done seminars. I've done trainings. They're all friends of mine. At the same time, I agree with a lot of the finer points about how specific areas are treated, why we don't have post PAs included, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. There's so many things. That's not what the fight is about right now, but at the same time, the union needs to understand that they're losing support because of comments like that. I agree. Well, we don't care about the PAs are not in our union, but guess what? They're human beings, and those yes. human beings are supporting the members of your union, so they may not technically be paying dues, but they're still a part of your family. So to, to just negate them and say they're not a part of the conversation I think is very short-sighted because who knows, that PA – might have, uh, let's say that it's a young PA right out of college, right? And this young PA out of college is working um, for an art director in your department. But what the, the leader of your union, your guild, just said doesn't know is that that kid's father is a big name DP for Local 600. And he's like, well, screw them and screw this union. I'm voting no because right. I want to make sure my son is taken care of. That could be happening. So, yes, technically, PAs, they're not paying dues. They're not members of our union. But to leave them out in the cold is just the most misguided thing, not just misguided as people, but it's a misguided strategy. I totally agree. They are part of our department and we are fighting for our department. You know, we are fighting for our family. Um, And so and I even commend the people that ask the question, like, I'm so glad they're thinking about 
their PAs in this situation because like what a scary situation for a PA who makes shit money, who can barely afford the rent that they're paying on, you know, a 10 roommate apartment. Um, And, and they're, you know, if a strike happens, they're going to be out of work too. And that's going to be a big problem. So um, I I agree. I, I do think it's a failure to not discuss these, these conversations now about, you know, like I think I'm thinking similarly to you when I was on the call today, they told us how many people were on the call. So there are 3000 members in the art directors guild and there were 700 people on the call mm-hmm. and a thousand people had registered. And it was the most we've ever had. The last one was like three or 400. So that was very exciting, but I'm doing the math and I'm like, that's still less than half. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, it was less the same for us too. than half. Yep. And And maybe not everyone is available, you know, Saturday morning, and maybe there are other reasons that they didn't sign up, but is it indicative of how they're going to vote or how they're going to show up? And if so, that's a bigger number than our number. And we need to be looking at those 2000 people that didn't even register for the town hall. And we need to see, you know, what's going on there. And so I think that the people that are showing up, you know, we are all fired up and we're all in solidarity and we're posting things online. You know, we're all there. Those are the people that we don't have to worry about them. We have to worry about these 2000 people that didn't show up. Yeah, that's exactly what I said on the call that I uh, had yesterday with my students. As I said, if you feel the best way to support this is to go into the Editor's Guild Facebook page and tell everybody to vote yes, you are wasting your time. Right. That is a total echo chamber of everybody that already agrees with you. It's the people not on Facebook. It's the people not showing up to the calls. And it's the people in the other guilds. Those are the ones that we need to be talking to because we voted yes three years ago. Like, I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion. The Editor's Guild is going to come home with this one. Yes. Right? So it's not a matter of we need to convince all of our buddies that are showing up to the same call. It really is what do we do to get in front of the other people that don't understand this, which, again, that's why I wrote the article. And that's why I'm doing this, because I want to be talking to other people that are not in my world. And I think that's also one of the huge fallacies of IATSE in general and why we failed miserably three years ago and six years ago and every other time. It's always been every guild for themselves. Right. They exhibited that three years ago when all the editors, we were just eviscerated for the way we handled this. And now they're like, oh, maybe we should actually band together as if we're all humans working in Hollywood as opposed to, well, we're the cinematographers and you, your uh, editors, you don't get it. You guys have your air conditioned rooms and you're not working until 4 a.m. And it's like, clearly we can see how far that got us. Right. And I think right. that that I think those days are over. I'm feeling a sense of complete solidarity across the board. But like you said, it's the ones not showing up to the calls that we need to be concerned about. And from a mathematical perspective, from a a proportionate perspective, it was essentially the same for our call. We had about, I think, 3,000-ish. I could be be butchering the numbers. But from what I read, we had about 3,000 people that showed up. Huge records. Oh, my God, this is amazing. I'm like, guys, we have 8,000 members. I was going to say, don't you have 5,000 people that didn't show up. Yeah. Like we need to be talking about that. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I, I do. I do have fear about that because I, I see, you know, even looking in the IATSE forum Facebook group, I see that it's an echo chamber. You know, everybody is, is in support there, but there are 12,000 members in there and only a handful of people posting, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's a small, it feels big. And I think the, I, the IA stories account, the Instagram account has helped 
this feel big and it has it has helped bring in lots of support which is incredible i mean today they were talking about adam schiff and alex padilla and you know getting our california house representatives involved which we should um but i am nervous i am nervous about the people that aren't showing up and the fact that that number is the majority compared to the people that are showing up yeah, and if, if you were to, to look at what's happened in our political discourse and you look at the – like let's go back to the mentality of uh, 2016, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not going to talk for or against any candidates. I try to remain out of politics as much as possible. But if we're just talking about basic political science and the facts, the fact was the Democratic side said – there is no way Donald right. Trump is ever going to be president, right? right? So I'm not saying he should or shouldn't be. I'm making no judgments, right. but it's a foregone conclusion. The Democrats said across the board, this is insane. This is never going to happen because they were focused on the wrong things. They didn't believe it could happen, so they weren't putting their energies towards the voters that could have swayed in one direction or the other. And I feel like that's a trap we might be falling into. Well, look at these IA stories and all the solidarity. There's no way we're getting a no vote. Right. Right. But I'm not that confident because, again, we have these camps where, number one, there are the diehard no voters. There's nothing we can do about them. They are the way that they are. They're built the way that they're built. They're stronger than we are. We are the weak ones. They will vote no because they want their money and there's going to be no interruption in the paychecks. Focusing our attention on them, complete waste of time. Focusing our attention on everybody that's already voting yes, already a complete and total waste of time. We need to focus on the undecided, the people that are on the fence that are terrified of a stroke, but maybe kind of sort of believe that if I stand up, there can be a change. Mm -hmm. That's where all the energy needs to be focused. And I'm afraid that it isn't. Yep. No, I agree. I agree. And our guild is asking for people to volunteer for the phone banking and the texting. And I have the tab open on my web page because I'm like, do I do this? Do I not? Um, is there a way for us to look up all the people who are not showing up to these calls and really hit mm-hmm. them? Like I, I do, I do think that there, that piece of the strategy is missing. Yep. And uh, I think the other thing that the AMPTP did, and by the way, I'm not endorsing anything that they believe in, but I do think that they're smart. I think that the way that they're ha- they're handling this really well from their end, and they did two things really smart. The first of which is they walked away. All of a sudden, right? When we had our town hall a little over a week ago, the number one conversation was, well, how long is it going to be before, you know, we know if we're doing a vote and a strike? And obviously the answer is nobody knows, but we're thinking about this in terms of weeks. Monday morning, boom, producers have walked away from the table. And my first response was, that is brilliant. The reason it's brilliant is because they know how much work it requires for us to mobilize the vote, and they want to rush it as fast as humanly possible because we're not really organized enough to be able to rally this because we've never had to do it before. So that's Mm -hmm. the first thing that I thought was brilliant on their part. Again, I'm not endorsing them, but their strategy is pretty smart. The other thing that they've done is not only are they not meeting the new demands, they're taking away old things that were in the contract saying, oh, yeah, we're not even going to give you lunches anymore, right? right? We're going to double your pension and health contributions. And that means that, again, talking about these undecided voters, they're thinking, oh, my God, well, I'm not – oh, can we just have it back the way that it was? Okay, fine, I'm going to vote no because, yeah, oh, fine. I just – I want to keep my lunch breaks and I want to keep my pension, right? That, again, is a very smart negotiating tactic going after the undecideds. So they're putting the fear of God into people that might be on the fence Mm -hmm. knowing that they're the ones that sway this vote. 
we're all focusing in my mind, at least from what I can tell from our guild and from the larger conversations, we're putting so much more energy into the echo chamber. And I just think there's a, a huge portion of these voters that the AMPTP knows how to twist the knife and they're scaring the crap out of them. And I just don't know if we're reaching them or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, okay, I had some other notes about your article. Um, the, and it's, and it's interesting because when you were, when you're talking about the undecideds, so like, I keep thinking, you know, my entrepreneur brain keeps thinking like my online marketer brain keeps thinking about this, you know, like, um, what's his name? Um, uh, Halpern. Uh, Derek Halpern. Da- Derek Halpern. Thank you. You know, I like we're in the same world because nobody in my world be Derek Halpern. Who? <laughs> what? He's like not even in our world anymore, really. Uh, um, but I remember, like he, I think it was him. He like put out, you know, marketing materials years ago about he called it like the sideliners or something. You know, people on the sideline. And so much of this, like it really is about sales and marketing. You know, because you had a you had a quote. Um, in your article that said, reading through these stories just solidifies my belief that directing our mob mentality towards the producers is the wrong strategy at this time. A classic marketing tool, and I have learned this with my webinar, you know, how to do a webinar, how to sell anything, is to give people someone to blame for their problems. Yep, they need a villain. Right. Right. There needs and, to be a villain. And it, it like, you know, we, we would talk about this in selling webinar. In our webinar, we would go like, Here's some of the problems you've been having. And if you have, it's okay. I understand. And, you know, like, uh, uh, <laughs> my brain is so mush today. I am sorry. It's Saturday. Uh, I Russell, get it. I'm right there with you. Russell Brunson, you know, like, yeah. it's like in his book, he's like, and, and tell them, like, throw rocks at them. Like, it literally says the phrase, throw rocks at them. Like, find out, like, what their problems are. And it's like, give them a reason, right? And, someone to blame for why it's this way so that it's not them taking their own responsibility. Um, and so like, I, sometimes I'm like, man, we need some expert sales and marketing people, you know, on these campaigns because it, it, it is. Well, and that's yeah. why I wrote the article. Cause that's mm-hmm. my fear. Right. Well, the, one of the things that prompted it other than everything else we talked about, but another thing that prompted it was I saw some random post, and maybe you're seeing it in your groups too, where people started this movement where we're going to cancel all of our streaming services. Right. I'm like, right. no, you morons don't cancel your streaming services. Yep. Number one, that hurts all the people that we work with. Number two, they don't give a crap. They're mm-hmm. laughing. Sure. Every single IATSE member, member, cancel Netflix and Hulu and Disney plus and everything else. And you know what? Double down, get all your family to do it. See if we give a crap. It's going to be a tiny blip. Yeah, it doesn't even make a dent. Profet- doesn't make a dent, but you're putting all that energy towards the wrong place. Yes. We are right now. The fight is not with the AMPTP. They're the war. The battle is getting the vote. Mm-hmm. If we don't get the vote, the war is over. This battle loses the war, and that's why I feel it's so misguided that everybody has their mob mentality and their pitchforks and their torches going after the big studios and the conglomerates. Yes, that's the top. That's the head of the snake, but that's not the battle that we're fighting. The battle we're fighting is we need the vote. So we need to get out there and make sure to convince people that are on the fence why this is an existential crisis. And I don't feel like that's the strategy, and that's what scares me. 
Well, let's change that right here, right now. Yeah, shall we? <laughs> for I mean, and for anybody listening, let's let's be really clear about what this vote means and what a yes vote means and what a no vote means. This is exactly what Zach is saying. A no vote means the beginning of the end of the union. Yeah, you think things are bad now? Just right. wait. Because right, right. we're, we're going to be competing for our jobs against people on Fiverr.com. That's, that's where this is going if we get a, a no vote. It's not going to happen overnight, but that's eventually where this is going to go because it's already happening in the non-union world. I see this all the time where people say, my rate used to be X number of dollars, but because of Fiverr and all these other services, I'm working for half the amount. Even if you're not in the union, and this was a big part of the conversation that I had uh, with my community Q&A, because most of my students, they're not in the union. They're trying to break into it or right. they're working in other areas all over the world. Right. And they're, they're in the nicest way possible. They're asking me, why should we care? I say, because if we can't set a baseline at the top of the industry, then the shit's going to roll downhill and everybody else at the bottom is going to get covered in it. And we're going to devalue all of us collectively, union, non-union, every, every craft is going to be the same for art directors and graphic designers, right? So if, if, you have, if you have a rate where you have a scale of as a graphic designer, I make X number of dollars per week and you can't pay me less. If all of a sudden that's gone, then somebody that's a non-union graphic designer on some low-budget indie feature, they can no longer say, yeah, but in the union they pay this. I know you're not union, but I at least want this. Mm -hmm. That's gone. So mm -hmm. the baseline for everybody is lowered, which means that we all get screwed. So this is not just a union fight. Right now, this vote is a union vote and a union fight, but this conversation is much bigger than that. So much bigger. And, and what you're talking about, too, is like everybody working from desperation. Mm -hmm. Everybody working from desperation, you know, non-union people being like, I'm so desperate to work in this industry. I'll do it for $20 an hour. Oh, you're paid 50. I'll do it for 20, mm -hmm. well, you know, and I talk about this a lot. I talk about this in my book as well, um, because, you know, so much of it has to do with scarcity, scarcity based thinking. And, and like you were talking about, one of the big narratives in this industry is to be so happy with scraps. You should be so happy and grateful for the crumbs that we've given you because, man, it is so hard to work in this industry. You should be so grateful to be here. You should be so grateful for those crumbs. And because people have been told that for so long, they have bought into that and have settled for crumbs and now are fighting for crumbs. If you, if a no vote is to fight for crumbs because people have told you that you're not worthy of, of more than that. And they, they've manipulated you to, to believe that. And to go back to an earlier analogy that you brought up, do you think they're saying to the assembly line workers at the auto factories, you are lucky to be putting that door handle on that Ford Explorer <laughs> today? Right. Do you have any idea what an amazing opportunity it is to put on that door handle? Nope. They've got collective bargaining. They get what it is that they deserve. They clock in at a certain time. They go home at a certain time. Again, comes back to this idea of the passion tax. Right. Nobody claws and scrapes and goes to undergrad and graduate school and gets a doctorate because they want to assemble cars someday. Right. Right. That's a job. It's not a passion and it's not a calling. But because mm -hmm. we like to, to use the term, this is my calling. This is not just what I do. It's who I am. Yes. That's the trap. Right. Yes. And that's what they're taking advantage of right now. And I'm still not totally convinced that they're not going to get away with it. I am nervous. 
Yeah, I am too. I think that this is the the best position we've ever been in. Yes. But I mean, this really is going back uh, to, again to thinking about 2016. This is a very, very similar situation. And another reason that the outcome was that we had one side saying, this is so ludicrous. There's no way that somebody like Donald Trump can become president. Right. Do you know why he became president? Because like you said, he created a villain. Right. Right. The Democrats saw Trump as a clown. There's no way this could happen. He's a reality star. Like, this is absurd, right? Mm -hmm. But, again, not endorsing, but one of Trump's strategies, which was pretty brilliant, is he created villains, right? Mm -hmm. The villains were the the liberal thinkers and the immigrants. And so he got people so fired up and fighting against a common villain, that was a strategy, and he won. He did very well with that strategy. And I feel like right now we're pointing all of our weapons at the wrong villain. Right. 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 Because it's it's so short lived. And and exact. I mean, you really hit it with Trump. I mean, it really is a classic marketing tactic, you know, to give people somebody to blame for their problems. It is a classic marketing tactic. And by the way, nothing you say even needs to be true. Correct. As long as people right. feel something and they all agree, we've also proven that truth has nothing to do with this argument. Tr- totally. It's seen this happen for years and years. People and, and if you're giving people somebody to blame for their problems, they're just so glad to take the responsibility off of themselves. Yep. It doesn't matter if it's true. They'll, they'll, they'll do that. And, Which is um, another reason, by the way, that my writing has been so unpopular. I even say it in the article that we're talking I, about today. I noticed This is on us. Yes. We need to take responsibility yes. for this because we have allowed this to happen. Yes. Right? It's not all our faults. No. But fault is irrelevant. Responsibility is the relevant word. And it's all about taking responsibility for the fact that this is where we are. The word yes has gotten us into this position. And the word no is what gets us out of it. Unless we're talking about the strike vote. Then vote yes. Yes. Then vote yes. (laughs) Vote yes. But yes to the impossible demands. Right? We need to say no to the requests and the expectations. And yes to the vote. Just to clarify the yes and the no. (laughs) I know this is kind of a tiny example. I should have asked you at the start what time you have to go because now we're one o'clock. I'm good. Don't worry. Okay. About it. Just you let me know. Um, I, I know this is like a tiny example and this wasn't even like a union thing, but I have a, I work on commercials sometimes in my downtime and I have this one contact who I've been working for, for 10 years. And he just calls me whenever he needs things and he's the greatest and I really love him. Um, and we have a great relationship. And one day I kind of had enough though, of how I was being paid because they would in order for him to get me more money, because he, he was trying to look out for me. He was trying to do the right thing and look out for me, right? But in order to get me the money that I really deserve for the work that I did, I had to turn an invoice as if it was for um, uh, things instead of labor. And if when I did that, it was net 30 days. Mm. So it would take me a month to get paid for the work that I did. But that, so that was the trade-off. It was like, if you want to do a time card, it's going to be less money. I can get you more money if you report it as graphic elements and not labor. But then the trade-off is that you're going to be paid a month later. And I was like, you know what? This is a shitty, I I don't want to trade one shitty thing for another. Like, I I don't want to do this anymore. And I told him, and it was such an uncomfortable conversation, and I was so scared to have it because I really, truly love him, and I think he's so great. Um, And and I knew it wasn't him. It's this bigger problem, you know, but I just said, you know, look, 
I don't think I should have to choose between these two things. Neither of them are fair. I should just be paid what I deserve for the job and, and in a timely manner and be done. And I shouldn't be trading. Um, and so, you know, when, when I'm faced with these moments, I, I choose myself and I, you know, like I said, I have quit shows before where I didn't feel respected um, because I think life is too short. And I hope that, you know, more people can sort of get on board with, with that mindset because now that we're seeing life is literally too short for so many members of the crew. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And uh, one of the points that I want to pull out that, again, I think you're right, maybe it would have been uh, better at the top, but it is what it is. And we're here now. Um, along the lines of having this this misguided anger in a certain direction, I think one of the mistakes or misnomers about the conversation, or at least the people that are new to it, is that it's us versus the producers. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that means the producer of my department or the executive producer of my show or my right. showrunner, and it's not, because your situation is the perfect example where the person that was asking you to do this was like, I really hate that I have to do this, but here's the way it has to, right? Right. He is not your enemy. He or she, they're not your enemy. It's the person that said, these are, this is how we need to do things, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not about your producer in post-production or your producer or supervisor in your department or the head executive producer, creator of the show. None of them want to work the long hours either. None of them want to do the accounting the way that we do it. All of them want more shooting days and less overtime. When we say the quote unquote producers, it is essentially the executives that are at those corporate conglomerates that say, you know what, it's going to make more sense if we shoot this in six weeks instead of nine. So make it happen. Every single person to the junior level studio executives, to the people that are the showrunners, to the people that are under the showrunners, they're all given this directive. It must be done in this amount of time for this amount of money. None of them want it done this way anymore. But again, it's misguided anger towards, well, it's us as the below the line versus the above the line. And it so isn't. And that needs to be made very abundantly clear. That's not what this is about. But that's the fear a lot of people have where people like I had a person on my call that said, well, if if I want to like post on social media or wear a button for the strike, like what what if the, the producer sees that? Like, are they going to blacklist me? And like, number one, legally, they can't do that. But number two, they probably want this all to, to work right. out differently because then their lives are going to improve, right? right? No, it's they may the not Apple, be represented by IATSE. Right. Yeah, so it's, it, it's going to change everything. But yes, what it all comes down to, to come back to what you said to kind of bring it to a close, um, and this is what I said in the article too, is that you can go through all the bullet points. You can worry about the pension and health contributions and the 2.5% scale increase versus 3, 3% or the 900 pension hours versus the 450, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The only question that you need to ask at night when you put your head on the pillow, do you feel respected and valued? If you do, oh my God, you are in the minority right now and I'm glad for you. I'm one of those people. I'm in the minority where everybody that I work with, not just in my office, but at the studio level, at the executive level, I love working with all of them. That's why I choose to keep coming back to the show. doesn't mean that there aren't struggles and disagreements, but I feel valued and I feel respected. But the second question I have to ask, so I don't selfishly vote no because it makes my life easier, can I say the same thing for the people that I work with? Mm -hmm. Do I feel the people that I work with that I'm surrounded by every day, are they valued and are they respected? There's no question in my mind that the answer to that is no. That's why I have to support this because if, yeah, if I'm going to be selfish, I don't want to go on strike. I want to keep cutting my awesome TV show and I want to keep getting paid like hell yes. But it's just, it's so much bigger than that. 
so much. I I don't even really work on crew anymore. I mean, my, my business is full time. And even when I did work on crew, this barely impacted me. Graphic designers have it good. I worked from mm-hmm. eight to six. I, I mean, I mean, there were definitely complaints, but no, I, I see what's happening to my friends. I see, you know, and, and my clients and, you know, gosh, empathy, man, <laughs> empathy. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is a much bigger human conversation than it is just about, um, you know, are, are you in a position to handle the work stoppage? It's way yes. bigger than that. Well, Zach, um, I hope that even beyond this strike that you and I continue this conversation, um, because like we've said, it, it's so much bigger than this one strike. And hopefully if we can get that yes vote, it will be the beginning of a new Um, And I think that we need to keep talking about what that looks like. So I hope that you will come back and chat with me and continue to, to talk if you're not, if you're not exhausted because you've been doing this for seven years. I'm just getting warmed up. (laughs) I basically, I've been warming up for seven years for this battle. So you are bring it on. I am so glad. So for anyone listening, if you are in a guild in one of the 13 unions, please, please, we beg of you vote. Yes. Um, this is so much bigger than even any one of us. This is about future generations. This is about your health and future. This is about changing an incredibly toxic culture. Any last words? The, the, the best thing that I can say is you need to summon the courage to make sure that people respect you. You need to be respected and valued. You deserve that as a human being. Yes. One of the things that I say to every single person that is a student of mine, that is a reader of mine that joins my list, my opening words and my closing words are identical. You deserve to love what you do for a living, but not at the expense of your health, your relationships, or your sanity. And in order to make that happen, sometimes you have to say no to the unrealistic or the outright insane demands and expectations. And now is the time to do that by again, saying no to all of the bad things, but saying yes to the vote. So clarifying that. Yes. Amen. Amen to that. And where can people find you? So you have a, you have a podcast as well. Can you just tell people? I about do. That? Yes. So my podcast is called optimize yourself. Um, they can go to optimize yourself.me is the website. They can go to any podcast provider and I'm on there. Um, I have a coaching and mentorship program, very similar to the work that you do and really empowering people to, I think it's not just about the nuts and bolts. I think one of the reasons you and I have so much in alignment is that it's about first, you need to make sure people believe they can do it. If they don't believe they can do it, I can give you every strategy in the world to get a job or build a career. You're not doing any of it until you believe in it and see yourself doing it. And I think that's where you and I um, are very much in agreement. Um, So I I provide those tools very similar to the things that you're doing. But I also focus a lot on productivity and time management. So for anybody that wants to dive in specifically to the resources to help you be more creative and have more energy, but do it in less time, um, I also have a 50-page ultimate guide called The Ultimate Guide to Optimizing Your Creativity which is at optimizeyourself.me slash ultimate guide. That's awesome. Zach Arnold, thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you. Yes. In solidarity. I am. Yep. Let's do this. Sending Bring good vibes. Let's get that yes. Um, and thank you so much for being here. Yep, you bet. It was an absolute pleasure and I appreciate the opportunity. And if-
Yeah.